Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Thanks, Donna, and good morning, everybody. Morning if you're on the West Coast. Uh, Good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are, I guess. Uh, Happy to be here. Excited about the class today. I uh, got a question directed to me from Quora this week. It was a question about how to remain calm and relaxed and not fly off the handle. And as I began to respond, I thought this would make for a good Sunday class. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how to become and remain calm basically a short course in managing emotions. There's a lot more to it than we'll cover today. I've got a little handout, and I can make that available to you if you wish. I think Hannah's going to put it one question at a time in the chat box for us today. And if anybody watching this on YouTube or listening to us in their favorite podcast player uh, wants a copy of it, just email me at my initials at theagelesswisdom.com. MB, like Mary Baker, just my initials, MB at theagelesswisdom.com and say, hey, uh, send me that PDF on how to remain calm and manage your emotions. little short course today. Uh, and, you know, to have a few quick, easy things to do is not just a substitute for formal meditation, but an approach to managing your anger or your even your heartache, any uncomfortable feeling. I always hesitate to call them negative feelings because I think they're so valuable. And, and, and we call them negative only because they hurt, but the hurt is a signal. It's just like a symptom of a a physical illness, listen to your pain. It's, it's, it's full of information. It's trying to tell you something. And so it is with our emotional pain. If only we knew that clearly, then we could welcome it in. Uh, the problem is not that we experience uh, emotional heartache and uh, sadness and anger. And the, the problem is that we tend to hold on to it. And we think it's holding on to us, right? I can't shake this feeling. Like the anger's got a grip on you, or you made me angry, really. (laughs) Nobody made you angry. Our emotions are responses, and we tend to hold on to them. So how do we put it down? And how do we learn to read the symptoms of uh, our emotional discomfort? see them as valuable, and and then develop an ability to be aware of the hurtful feeling, if not negative, 
the hurtful feeling, while it's still small. Imagine seeing your anger as an example, or your heartache for that matter, on the horizon while it's still small and approaching. And you find yourself, because of the expanded awareness you're developing, recognizing sooner than you normally do. Gosh, I'm starting to get really upset. This is starting to really irritate me. Maybe I should pay attention to it and discern its meaning and figure out what this is really about. If it's a pattern, look for the pattern. Maybe ask myself, when was the first time when I felt this, if it really is a pattern? And in any event, what does it mean? And it's so much easier to manage when that anger is just a little smurf guy way out on the horizon, you know. But it gets closer and closer and bigger and bigger and begins to consume us. And then it gets increasingly difficult to do anything about. That's when really we really tend to feel like a victim of our emotions. So I've asked Hannah to read these bullet points for us one at a time and then I'll comment on each of them. Again, the handout is uh, well, how did I word it exactly? What's the header, Hannah, on the top of that page? The document is titled Remain Calm and Manage. Manage your emotions or manage your feelings. To remain calm, to manage your emotions, to find peace. And the first bullet point, huh? Is slow, deep breathing, ideally through your nose. And I will also put these in the chat box for people to reread. Great. Thank you. I guess it's obvious to most of you that the primary reason for inhaling, if not exhaling through the nose, is that uh, the uh, membranes in the nose, if that's the right word, are more, uh, what's, how can I say this, amenable or open to accepting the oxygen. It gets into your blood faster. It's what the nose is for. It's even got little hairs growing in there as a result of natural selection uh, to help filter the air. Uh, doesn't do a very good job, but keeps the bigger particles out. And so... Uh, you oxygenate yourself better when you inhale through the nose. But more importantly than whether you inhale through the nose or the mouth, even more importantly is the slow, deep aspect of this first bullet point. Because what you're doing is signaling that part of the limbic brain, which is the primitive emotional brain, called the amygdala, the fight or flight center, that in spite of any confusion or uncertainty, any uh, free-floating anxiety, any worry or doubt or nervousness, any residuals from some traumatic effect, that if your breathing is slow, and particularly if it's deep, that you must be safe. It's a message to the brain that you're actually safe. The deep part of slow and deep even suggests to the unconscious, again, this is not a matter of reasoning, but the unconscious 
what's sometimes called the subconscious, same thing, that you have just survived some danger. You either defeated the danger or you successfully ran away, fight or flight. By the way, the full response is fight or flight, freeze or faint. The fight or flight response is the way it's commonly known, but you do have the deer in the headlights phenomena or playing possum, that works, right? And then fainting is another way to escape the unconscious pulls the plug. But most of, most of the time, the, the response is to either fight or run in a deep breath. Uh, that's why running a race, you know, or exerting yourself physically, just a brisk walk is so good for you because it really tells the body, okay, stop pumping all that adrenaline. You're not in danger anymore. Stop pumping all of that cortisol and normalize, you know, um, and the respiration rate drops when you allow your breathing to become involuntary, normal, normal everyday breathing. Your pulse drops, your blood pressure normalizes. Just from a few slow, deep breaths, you're saying that's the first message to the brain that you're actually safe. So it's really hard to separate breath control or breath management from relaxation. It's really where it begins. And there's breath work that doesn't go much farther than this or much further than this. It's just breath work, slow, deep breathing. If you continue to do slow, deep, connected breathing, you may be surprised what comes up. You may find yourself suddenly crying and not sure why you're crying or laughing for no reason. Music can do this. Have you ever noticed? You hear a certain certain tune, and um, I heard this recording recently after Jeff Beck died of him playing Nessun Dorma, which is one of the most beautiful melodies ever conceived of truly heaven sent, and there's something so uplifting about many melodies, but that one comes to mind. And it just brought up tears. It's just suddenly my face is leaking water. It's like, what is this about? And it's a letting go, it's a purging. It's like the, I, I think of crying and laughing both as being like a safety valve on a pressure cooker. It's just a, a wonderful release. Never stifle your tears. Just. I mean, unless if you're in a public place, you don't want, don't want to humiliate yourself in the supermarket or something. Fine, you can stifle temporarily, but you know, if if you <laughs> if you're concerned about that, don't stifle. Let it come. It's the healthiest thing in the world uh, to do. So sometimes breathing will bring up <clears throat> uh, an unexpected response like that or a memory of a trauma, or a loss, or a grief. Don't be afraid of that. Let it, oh, thank God, let it come. Let it sweep you away. Right. Second bullet point, Hannah. Second bullet point. Deliberately allow yourself to feel safe and relaxed. 
Let go of muscular tension from head to toe. And so this is a second message to the brain. The first message is, look at this slow, deep breathing. How could I be in danger? I've obviously survived or defeated somehow, defeated or ran away from and therefore survived the danger. And then look at the letting go. Would these muscles be relaxed? Again, you don't have to go through the reasoning consciously. The unconscious recognizes immediately. That's why I say the brain, the brain and the unconscious mind immediately associates deep physical relaxation with feeling safe, safe and relaxed. Those words go together like a horse and carriage or love and marriage, right? This person could not be in any real danger if their muscles are relaxed. If their breathing is slow and deep and their muscles are relaxed, there's two messages to that amygdala that it can let go of this fight or flight response having been triggered. One of the first benefits, by the way, of this happening is either or thinking tends to go away and is replaced by a third way, a fourth option, a fifth possibility. That creativity, that, that insight and understanding supplants binary either ors, all or nothing. The idea that everything is a sporting contest, somebody has to win. If you're not a winner, you must be a loser. You're either right or you're wrong. You can't both be right or wrong. There is no relativity. Everything is absolute. People live there. You know people who live there. And you know when you and I get stressed, we tend to go there. For me, having to deal with either or thinkers 40 years ago when I was doing talk radio opened me to all of this. I thought, what is the matter with these people? That, that they can't find the shades of gray between black and white. Then I realized shades of gray, hell, there's rainbows between everything and nothing. And it's fear. People are scared. And anytime you see an either or thinker, that's a high stressed individual. And that triggers the fight or flight and that defensiveness. You ever find that you're defensive? Ask yourself, why am I being defensive? Who am I defending? And why do I believe I need to defend myself? Where is the danger? Where is the danger? We look at reactionaries in our society, whether they're political or not. What's it mean to be a reactionary? What are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? Why do you have all those guns? You know, why are you clinging to old belief systems that you know don't always work for you? Examine that fear. And if you go far enough to the left, you see that same fear rising in when, when being so-called liberal or progressive gets absurd and ridiculous. 
as if everything's going to be politically correct and nobody can tease anybody. And even Abraham Lincoln is a racist, so we got to tear his statue down. I mean, it, it, the truth is always in the middle. It's never in the extremes. There's no, there's no truth out here in the all black or the all white. Remember the, the Tao sign, that wonderful symbol from Taoism has the black side, the white side, with a sine wave going through it. So that indicates the cyclic nature, the ebb and flow of one to the other. But there's also a dot of the opposite in each, suggesting that there's a 70-30 and a 60-40, you know, a 90-10, but there is no 100-0. That's the end zone. You're off the playing field. You're out of bounds. Nothing happening out there. The pendulum never swings so far that it doesn't come back. That's the middle way, that whole playing field. From this goal line, 100 yards downfield to that goal line. That's the middle, not just the 50-yard line, right? This whole, that's where the answers are. That's where the understanding is in the middle. So beware of the either-or mentality. That's one of the first benefits of these first two bullet points. Slow, deep breathing, at least to begin your meditation with three or four or five nice, slow, deep breaths. And then as you exhale in particular, a letting go feeling. The first thing that happens is that either or me against the world feeling just falls away. Third bullet point, Hannah. Third bullet point is become mindful. Notice what you notice internally and externally in the present moment without judgment. Avoid using past experiences to mentally build a case for or against. Yeah, thanks. That last part is particularly important since I think most of you, at least in this class, know what mindfulness is, to be aware in the present moment uh, to, to be mindful enough that you realize eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, that your mind is drifting to past regrets and resentments or drifting forward into fears of the future and often a back and forth that my shame and guilt and resentment and remorse from the past is going to be repeated in the future. And if you just come into the reality of the present moment, you understand the past and the future are just images in your head. They're not real. Memory is imagination, right? There's nothing real about your memory. We don't even remember the original incident that we're trying to recall. When you remember something, what you're recalling is the last time you remembered it. That's why the story morphs. And when the fisherman tells you about the one that got away, it's always a little bigger every time he tells the story because he's remembering the last time he told the story. We all do that. It's a remarkable phenomenon. The point is, it's just pictures in your head. And so, too, the future is obviously imagined. So how could it be real? You're just making it all up. Only now is real, but now is eternal. 
And while time is an illusion, obviously, if now is the only thing that's real, time is an illusion. We understand that from physics. At the speed of light, there is no time. It's a time-space continuum, right? They play off each other. But it does have rhythm. The present moment does have rhythm. It has an ebb and a flow and a yin and a yang and a pop, pop, dop, pop, bebop. We love rhythm, right? And everything is cyclic. Energy, spirit, it, it's a vibration. So it has rhythm. Very important aspect of music is rhythm. So now has a rhythm. But it's always now. So present moment and without judgment. So important. And then that last little element about don't build a case for or against. That reasoning needs to be suspended. If you really want to be present, open and receptive, stop the reasoning. Stop building a case. Just give it up. Who are you, who are you going to prove what to? You, mo most of it is trying to convince ourselves that we're not as bad as we fear we may be. We're not as inadequate or as stupid or as ugly or unacceptable. Nobody's rejecting you. You're, you it, most of it's self-deprecating, the fears of inadequacy and such. So this constant, trying to build a case for or against. Give that up, man. Spare yourself that. It's just of no value. You're fine exactly as you are. You're perfect exactly as you are. You want to refine your behavior and get better? Great, but do it on your schedule. Do it for you, not for others. Do it for you that you may be of greater service to others and more help to others but you've got to put yourself first. If, you, if you're serving other people so that you can benefit as a result of being accepted by them or gaining their approval, you're, you're working the program backwards. Next point, Hannah. Don't overthink. Be the self-aware observer, the curious witness in a relaxed, non-attached state of expanded awareness. Parenthetically, yes. I feel angry and frightened is very different from I am angry and frightened. So when you say to people, don't overthink, a really bright person will say back, well, what do I do instead? I can't just sit here and avoid something's going to come up. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so does my consciousness. What do I do instead of thinking? How do I stop overthinking? You don't stop it. You do something else, which is feel. Move your awareness into your body and feel the feeling. And as you become more relaxed, you will, you will be more aware of the feeling. And identify as we do with the breathing as the observer not the breather in this case let's take a emotion like anger or heartache um let's just say anger for now applies to any hurtful feeling isn't it different 
as Hannah just read, to say, I'm feeling angry. I feel angry. I'm starting to feel really upset by this. Isn't that very different from I am angry? I feel angry. It, it doesn't create distance. It creates non-attachment. It, it releases the victimization of anger has been done to me by you. You made me angry. Or I'm angry because of this circumstance or this condition, which is unfair. Somebody once said life is unfair, but it's worth it. It's still good and probably is fair and just in the long run. You just don't see the whole picture. So create that non-attachment by being careful in the way you frame. Use these sentence structures to understand yourself, you know. Uh, you have to be very careful in the way you talk to yourself because your unconscious mind is listening and it's very amenable to suggestion. These are sets of instructions and the brain, the universe so-called only says yes. You tell yourself a bunch of negative stuff over and over and the brain goes, all right, if that's what you want, we can, we can grow weeds just as well as we can grow flowers, whatever you want. Poison ivy, we'll grow poison ivy. Oh, roses, plumeria, we can do that too. Fruits and vegetables, here's a strawberry. Here's a ragweed. But it's going to grow whatever you put in. Create that sense of non-attachment through mindfulness. I'm feeling this way. I'm aware of feeling this. But not I am angry. And I am a victim of a feeling that's been done to me. Work on that. Work on discerning the distinction there. Next one. Next one is find where in your body the emotional feelings are expressing. See if you are able to intuitively perceive a feeling, a shape, color, texture, or temperature from the emotions to help yourself, quote, get a grip, unquote. Right, right. Um, again, what do I do instead of overthinking? Feel. How do I feel now? Well, you move your awareness into your body and say, where in my body do I feel this anger? Where in my body do I feel this envy, uh, this heartache, this grief, this loss? Uh, where in my body do I feel confusion? And uh, this particular anxiety, is it specific or is it nonspecific and free-floating? And can I give it a shape? Can I locate it? Does it have a shape? Does it have a color? And without physically moving, imagine reaching out to touch that feeling as you locate it in your body. How's it? Trust your intuition. Does it have texture? Does it have temperature? How does it feel to the touch? This is a cross wiring. It's a deliberate cross-wiring in the brain so that a feeling has a feeling. You, you understand what I'm saying? So that your emotional feeling has 
the qualities of a physical feeling, and then it's easier to deal with. In fact, we've talked about, and will again in the future talk about, going from this point to even dialoguing with the feeling. You give it a voice, and as long as you're deeply relaxed, in the state of expanded awareness, ask your feeling a question, it will answer you and tell you. <laughs> it will tell you what it means, why it's here, what you can learn, what to do about it. More on this coming up in future classes, I promise. Emotional dialoguing. Next, Tana. Remind yourself that you always have choices, more choices than are immediately apparent. Though you may not be able to control the stimulus, you can manage your perception and response. Yeah, thank you. So much of our stress comes from feeling that we have no control. And so it's understandable that with shallow consciousness and high stress states, we're going to try to control the stimulus, right? We're going to try to manage the world. Uh, we're going to buy a gun. We're going to get a big club. We're going to threaten or seduce or cajole or buy off. It just doesn't occur to most of us that you have very little influence, much less control over what's being done to you over the stimulus. Where you can express your control is in how you perceive it, your attitude, how you frame it, how you understand it, in the co what context, and then how you respond. And is it reflexive or is it well thought out? That's where you have control in your perception, your understanding, your perspective, and in your chosen response, which you, as we'll discover in a moment here, initiate instead of just react reflexively. Want control? That's where you'll find control in how I look at it and how I respond. This is a common wisdom. Actually, the last part, people will say, well, you can't control what's done to you, but you can choose a response. Great. That's great. But it's really perception and response here. Your attitude, the context in which you see it is that important middle element. Next item. Understand the benefits of initiating a response rather than reacting reflexively. Responsibility is your ability to choose your response. Yeah, it's a very important difference, isn't it? Um, we're dealing basically with words like respond, react, and initiate, and reflex, I guess. We'll throw that in there, too. Respond, react, reflex, or initiate. <laughs> um, it's up to you. Uh, Melinda could tell us about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and, and how that's evolved through natural selection and how, you know, if somebody jumps out from behind the rock and says, boo, you jump before you realize you've been surprised because that reaction goes to the spine and then right back to the muscle and uh, you jump before... 
uh, or, you know, a stick touches your leg and you think it's a snake, maybe a better example where the brain's not even involved and you jump before you even realize you've been touched and surprised in that way. And only a few seconds later, so-called reaction time, three quarters of a second or something is quite slow for something to reach the brain way up here at the other end of your body and, um, and be perceived and comprehended and understood. There's a lot of translation that has to go on there. But the point is, when we take the time, we can consider our choices, the consequences of each, and then initiate a behavior rather than, and, and, and that is our conscious, deliberate, purposeful response. Reaction tends to sound, to me, more reflexive. You know, did you react or respond? That's how I would define the distinction there. You know, choose to initiate, pause. You know that old thing, before you get angry and start yelling, count to 10? If you ever do that, count backwards. Don't count up to 10. <laughs> count down for obvious reasons. Next, Rana. How many more have we got? Two more? This is the penultimate. All right. So carefully consider the consequences of your chosen response. Yeah, this is look before you leap. If you have children or maybe you remember being a child and your parents took you at some point when you were very young to the curb and told you to look this way and then turn and look that way and know that there's traffic coming in both directions and you have to be very careful and look both ways. I was very proud in the fifth or sixth grade to be asked to be a safety patrol kid and they give you this, <laughs> I went to school, they gave us this belt this white belt that went around my waist and then diagonally across one shoulder, a kind of a uniform. And it gave me this six, sixth grade, you know, I'm 11, maybe 12 years old, maybe 10 years old, this sense of authority. And I loved it. I loved being a safety patrol and helping the little kids across the street on their way to school. It was so cool. Uh, one of my first leadership lessons. And I took that responsibility very seriously. But then we forget, you know, the ball runs in the street, ball rolls in the street, and you run out, and you forget you're supposed to look both ways. And so it is in life. You know, we know better, but we say things and then go, oh, my God, did I really say that? Or you react, or you threaten somebody, or you say something that, Maybe you didn't even realize what you're saying until you say it. And then, oh, my God, that sounds so wrong. That's not at all what I meant. Too late. Already said it. It's one of the wonderful benefits of all this relaxation, managing your emotions, remaining calm, finding tranquility, and sustaining peace of mind and tranquility is this wisdom that's where we're headed with it the wisdom
So if you have a question or a comment, I don't see how you wouldn't, but share that with Hannah. Just raise your hand if nothing else. Or Doesn't penultimate mean second to last? I thought it meant the ultimate, but you may be right. You have one more, you're saying. I have one more. All right. Uh, verbally express your feelings with I feel statements instead of accusations that begin with you. And there is oh. one comment and one question so far. So, yes. Good. We'll go to those in just a sec. I'm glad that uh, I remembered to add that to my bullet point list. This whole idea of responsibility, as we said earlier, the ability to choose a response to emotional feelings. Our natural state, given the stresses that we're under and this insane lifestyle we've created for ourselves, is to feel like a victim of feelings, that feelings are done to us. The first part of the word responsibility is response. To remind ourselves that emotions, our feelings, our response it's not the stimulus that needs to be controlled, as we said a moment ago. It's the response, and that's what an emotion is. If I say the same insulting thing in exactly the same way, or how about this, at the same time, to 10 people, each of them will respond differently. A couple may laugh because they know I'm only kidding, uh, a few may take me seriously and get upset, but figure I'm just being a jerk. And some may be deeply insulted and one or two may come after me and wring my neck while the other guy down here is laughing because he got the joke. Emotions are not done to us. They come from us. And as simple as that sounds, it's actually quite profound and can change your whole life. But you need that pause that refreshes. You need to be consciously aware. Otherwise, the, the feeling will tend to tell you, as it's coming out of a survival place, fight or flight, it's going to tell you you're in danger. Forgetting that this is your spouse or your best buddy or a co-worker, or one of your kids, or one of your parents. It might as well be a monster, a lion coming after you that's going to eat you and devour you. For the, for the chemistry going on in your body, it might as well be a horrible threat. As if you're in war. Look at the things we say in response to that, and the things that we do. The bit flipping, we've all done it. It's embarrassing. But that's our animal nature. It's part of being a human. We have a spirit inside us that is good and true and beautiful, but we're in these animal meat bodies, and there's a constant battle going on. What's that old internet story about the Indian elder that tells his grandson he has two wolves inside him, a good wolf and a bad wolf, and the little boy says, well, grandfather, if they're both fighting all the time, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one I feed. Just don't feed. That's the same as the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. It's true. And uh, 
Sometimes we need that shadow side. Sometimes that shadow side has a good point. That fear jumps out and alerts you to something. It's not wholly bad. You don't want to suppress it. But it also doesn't get to run the show.